Sweat Equity Podcast and streaming show, the number one comedy business podcast in the world. Doing a little different today. Uh, we have scheduling staff through. I miss, I miss my heterosexual life mate, Eric. Uh, but we'll be back better than ever next episode. Uh, for this episode, you know, make sure to check out our sponsor, Squarespace. Episode sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one customizable, customizable, ooh, this is going to be a rough, a rough go at it, customizable website uh, where you can, it's as easy as a template to just have your own professional, personal website where you can have your resume, your, uh, your brand, your message, or it's scalable if you need a custom code, you need a program, you need to add anything. We've done so many websites in Squarespace. You can start your free trial and hook up this show by hitting the display, the little linky link, the Zelda link in uh, the episode description. You know, make sure to uh, be our BFFs by subscribing to the show, sharing it with a friend. Say, hey, these guys are a couple of knuckleheads. They're getting, they're a couple of rascals getting into a lot of trouble. Uh, give us a five-star review. Write a little uh, sentence about us. It could be anything like Law's flaccid uh, package probably is uh, scary small. And then share the show. Share it with someone. That's all you got to do. Hi! Sweat Equity. Listening to the Sweat Equity Podcast. So, uh, I'm rolling solo on uh, this podcast. We had a scheduling snafu. It uh, it happens every now and again. And what usually happens is uh, one of us will say, "Maybe I'll record solo," um, and then it goes, "Oh, that sounds great," and then we never do it. And I was thinking about that today, and I was like, "All right." No matter how awkward it is to uh, attempt to Bill Burr this episode or Tim Dillon this doing a kind of a monologue, um, you know, it's one of those things where why not take 10 minutes and do this? And then I'm going to uh, put in a podcast interview I did with uh, the Matt Bollicker podcast, an old buddy of mine. We talk a lot of comedy and business uh, and I, I re-looked at the video. I kind of look like I'm on NyQuil for some reason. I'm real low-key, like talking like I'm a former, you know, uh, just like a former rapper. Just like, yeah, it was real cool. Yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. Like real low voice. I don't know what's wrong with me that day, but it was a good, it's a good discussion nonetheless. Um, and uh, I think I dispensed some wisdom. So... I want to bring up one thing I saw today. I thought this was pretty cool. I'm uh, I'm trying to do the tech part of this while talking. Um, I read I read a post by uh, Alex Hormozzi, H-O-R-M-O-Z-I, Hormozzi, um, managing partner at uh, Acquisition.com, uh, in his LinkedIn little, you know, slogan blurb that you can put on your uh, profile. I put, we help scale founder-led companies to 100 million. Now, 
never met the guy. I just, I saw this liked by someone else. And it, it was an image that has a tweet from him that says, how to stay poor. Do the following. And so I'll, I'll read this. I'll try to read this as best I can. Uh, I'm not a good reader, but um, these, are all, these are all things if you want to stay poor. Stay busy. Accomplish nothing. Start tomorrow. Read books. Do nothing. Take advice from poor people on how to get rich, which is the old joke of like, why would I take, you know, fitness advice from a fat person? Uh, pick a spouse who makes you feel guilty about working. That's that's a tough one. Uh, fail once, quit forever. Blame your circumstances. I, I, and if I find myself doing that, I always try to catch myself and go, no, it's on me. Blame other people, same. Expect the government to save you. That's a tough one. But, uh, you know, and the, if you're, 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 you're struggling, it should only be the last resort, I think. I don't, I've been unemployed uh, a bunch of times since I got into the working world. Never taken unemployment. Um, not because I, I just wanted, to, I didn't want to use it as a crutch. Uh, value the opinions of others over your own. So that's, that's interesting. Um, complain. Now, that's the only one on this list that I'll, I'll kind of say I like complaining. I, I, I'm really pissed about what I'm complaining about. I just think it's kind of funny to vent about small things. Um, like, uh, like I was, I bought some high noons and I saw them last second, but I was about to buy a big, truly like huge, like, uh, like the biggest can you can buy, I guess. And I'm like, that's just malt liquor. That's what's so funny about truly. You're just drinking malt liquor packaged differently. Anyway, um, back to this list. Uh, think the world is fair. Yeah. Avoid discomfort. Tolerate mediocrity. Make promises, break promises. Wait for perfect conditions. Prioritize looking rich over being rich. That's the $100,000 millionaire. Avoid working on what matters most. Find something that works. Stop doing it. Assume you're always right. Always take it personally. Then get emotional. I wish every adult read this list. Um, increase your income. Increase your expenses even more. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Stay undecided. I do have a, a problem being friends with people that can't make a decision. It drives me nuts. And then I look like the asshole because I freak out. Compare yourself to people poorer than yourself to feel better. Yeah. I mean, don't do it out loud. <laughs> but I, I have been thinking on this theory of like happiness is relative, right? Like, if you are lower class income earning 
in the United States, $34,000 puts you in the 1% of the world or something like that. So, you know, by, by thinking of all the poor people in the world, you might feel better, but really it's, it's, it's relative to where you are. And in the United States, it's, that's a tough ways to have. Um, I think about it driving, right? I'm only, I'm mad. I only go nine miles over the speed limit and I'm mad if I can't do that. And if I see someone going by me, I made a bad decision and got behind a slow Subaru lesbian driving with her fat Birkenstocks uh, on the brake mostly. And I chose poorly and I, I got zoomed around. I get pissed because my happiness is relative to being ahead of the people that were behind me. It's weird. Um, do what everyone else is doing except to get something different. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, do whatever everyone else is doing expect to get something different. Yeah, I guess if you're doing your uh, squats, getting your leg power going, and you you think you're going to get big biceps by doing that instead of uh, massive quads, good hamstrings, nice glutes. I can see that. Yeah, okay. Do things to make everyone else happy. Yeah, this is, um, you know, this is one uh, a lot of people I've been talking to lately, especially entrepreneurs, myself included, is like, you got to take 10 minutes a day to think about the day. Did you get the stuff you needed to do? Did you prioritize that first over trying to help people out? I used to spread myself too thin and, um, you know, I had to realize I couldn't work at the same clip I used to, as well as it's just not good for me for a lot of things. I was taking on a lot of stuff that really didn't matter. Um, but I, you know, it wasn't a people pleaser thing though. Someone called me a people pleaser. I was like, I tell people to fuck off all the time. Um, show up late or not at all. This is my biggest like pet peeve in life. People who are constantly late. Uh, and I don't get mad. I never get mad at like people, A, I don't know I'm meeting with or I don't know very well and they're late. It has to be a pattern. And it has to be, there is this just type of person, they'll never get it. This is what bothers me. It's not that hard. I'm glad I got it instilled in me in high school because of football. We have 6 a.m. practices in August. And if you weren't there at 545, you you were deemed out because you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. And it's like the best, the best rule. It's dorky and it's it, it it's uh I may get places a little bit early, but getting places early is not that big of a deal anymore. You have a you have a goddamn computer in your pocket that you could dick around on until whoever gets there. For me, I've always had I could always sit down and just write jokes or a to-do list or something. I'll keep myself occupied for the how, however many minutes, but showing up late and consistently doing it is um, horrendous behavior because it's the subconscious control thing. Your time's more valuable than the other person's. Um, anyway, last two or last one, never prepare. 
Yeah, this one, this is another little one that um, I had to knock off a little bit. It preparing's not sexy. It's not. It's not romantic. Preparation isn't. Uh, you know. It isn't one to one. Whatever you prepare will be executed. However, the most successful people I know prep their life, work, everything. They try to think three steps ahead. Um, and the people that are constantly kind of in that hectic, I'm always late, uh, kind of like always in a tizzy, like, oh, like so much anxiety. Preparation will reduce anxiety. And, and, um, and really, if you're a professional, if you really kind of take pride in what you do, you should um, you should spend that time prepping. No one has to see you either. It's not cool to pre- prepare. <laughs> but like, no one wants to see you work on a joke or, or figure out how the sausage is made of a joke because it's a magic trick. And same goes for some work deliverables you're doing. If you, if everybody knows you stayed up around the clock, they'll think you're just not efficient. But if you can prepare and deliver, sometimes, you know, one of the best things I've been doing lately is before I walk into a meeting, I go, what do I want to get out of this meeting? Or sometimes it's just lunch. Like I'm trying to make an effort to see friends that we all have kids now, little kids. And so it's like, I'm trying to make a conscious effort to see them. And then when I see them, let's see if we can hang out again. Let's Let's book something next month because I live near all my best friends or a lot of them and I rarely see them. So like preparing in that situation, just little things, you know, anyway, I, he put in the, at the end, I'd love to know which ones, which one was the hardest hitting most relevant for you. And then the comments are pretty funny because a lot of people take this emotionally. Um, I do like one that said discomfort is a gift. Yeah, I try to make myself either physically or uh, per- like personally uncomfortable doing something, and that includes like trying to learn a new skill on the fly. Um, you know, if you're a Chat GPT person and you're trying to figure it out on the fly because you're a little behind, you feel behind the million people that signed up. Yeah, I get that. Anyway, um, I thought that was interesting. I thought I'd share it. I hope uh, this all comes out in the final uh, final version of this. Let's see if I can get it all up. Um, I got two hours until the end of Wednesday. All right. Enjoy this uh, interview I did with uh, my buddy from L.A., Matt, Matt Bolliker, Matty Ballgame. This is Law Smith, and you're listening to the Matt Bolliker Podcast. <laughs> Uh, good day, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you once again for joining the Matt Balaker podcast. Uh, please encourage your friends, acquaintances, those you haven't spoken with in seven to 10 years to like, subscribe, and share. We really appreciate it. 
Uh, today, I am particularly excited because our guest is not only a longtime friend of mine, he's a comedian, host of the Sweat Equity podcast, a digital marketing expert who never misses leg day. Please join me in welcoming Law Smith to the program. How are you doing, Law? Yay, yay. Um, I'm going to keep the shades on. Those. Please do. When when you're as, as hot as you are, you got to do anything to kind of help the rest you know, of us have a chance. So um, I appreciate that, Law. I'm, I'm just not having the skin day I want, you know. Um, I am a summer, but it is, uh, you know, I, I think I need to drink some more water. I got, I can I throw out, speaking of like kind of merging these two worlds, comedy and um, in business, that's kind of what our podcast is about, sweatequitypod.com, if anybody wants to check it out. Oh, they do. Uh, um, it's, uh, you know, we, I don't know if you ever did writing, like, like writing exercises to write jokes, like a thing to get you going, you know? Yeah, just something to kind of grease the wheels a little bit to get you out of your head a bit. And then, like when you're first, when you first start doing stand up, you kind of do it, um, you're kind of, doing it all the time and then it becomes like second nature like you're like we it's called like dad jokes now kind of thing like you make <laughs> puns wordplay i think sometimes puns could be the most clever thing um so i was uh doing this on our podcast last night and i've got i've got an adult beverage to my right here uh left on your screen probably um and okay so um I, I've made this white trash cocktail that my fanciest gay friend even admits it's amazing. I'll tell your audience. You got the seal of a pro. If your fanciest gay friend admits it, then you're in good company. He's a fancy old gay too. So he doesn't put up with a lot of stuff. No. Very particular. <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a branding expert out of St. Pete. Shout out to David Downing. Um, What's up, David Downing? How are you? <laughs> um, so... Uh, it is Tito's vodka, put it in like a big tumbler, what I call a game day cup, you know, something over 16 ounces. Um, and then throw some ice in there, Tito's vodka and, uh, diet Canada dry ginger ale and lemonade, uh, the diet version or zero sugar version. It is exquisite. So like it, I was trying to think of a name forever. This has taken me months. This is all I've been doing all summer. <laughs> Productive um, summer. I like it. Well, you know, you have to have these, like, you know, you're like, oh, I created a, an amazing thing that I'm not going to really profit off of, but I, I'm going to tell everybody about it because I love it so much. Uh, again, part of what our show is for the podcast we do, Sweat Equity, is at least give some kind of pragmatic advice one one episode some little nugget at every episode and so like i'm like i gotta come up with a name and it was beating me down like you can't get the wordle of the day or something <laughs> or you know and so i thought about it i go all right a, a iced tea and lemonade is a what's that together is that arnold palmer okay what's iced tea lemonade and vodka uh long island no, it's a John Daly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised not a lot of people know that. I I asked my co-host on the show. I didn't know, but I I, I wanted John Daly even more it's than a, ever. It's a perfect name for him. Uh, it's a perfect drink name. You might need to have like a a Marlboro to stir it together. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and then I go, 
okay, this is Canadian and it's got a blonde hue to it. And I go, oh, it hit me like Monday night. And I was just like, two nights ago, I was like, oh, I know the name. It's uh, a mayor, Rob Ford. <laughs> <laughs> it gives you the gusto to just say crazy stuff. And it, it's kind of kick ass like him. So we, we could all use some more gusto. So I, I know we met in the early 2000s in LA, but that's not where you grew up. So where, where did you grow up, Law? I uh, grew up in Tampa. I'm a, a townie, one of the few, the proud, uh, one of the few families that's like been around this, this city for a while. Um, now I'm back in Tampa. I went to Auburn for uh, undergrad school and then uh right after like yeah so let, let's pause there for a second oh, don't you have some family connections to auburn like you and or bo jackson so my big brother's bo jackson uh, my cousin <laughs> I see the resemblance is, is charles barkley um, <laughs> my uncle is tim cook the ceo of apple um you know uh my baseball coach was the big hurt frank thomas not a big deal <laughs> Literally, no. that, all those reasons are like half the reason I went there. <laughs> the other half was I got in. My whole, my real family all went to Florida. I couldn't get in by the time I was uh, applying, and I, I ditched my loyalty to the Gators. My dad played for the Gators, played for the LA Rams, and then Redskins. Oh, he actually played. Um, that, that's right. Because didn't Were he and Bo Jackson on the same team at – some no, point or... my dad's about to turn 75. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, like, <laughs> like I don't know, both probably you know early 60s. I'm okay, okay. So OJ was number one in the overall draft. He was eighth, and I think the third running back taken. Uh if you want to Google image 1969 Playboy All American team, you'll see a guy that looks like a bigger me next, like literally two feet from OJ. Uh, on the the team kind of picture they're all wearing their own uniform kind of thing that sounds fun so i i'm sure you had no complexes as a kid if you're into sports and your father was a nfl well, draft pick you know uh so my my high school coach i was i i, I loved playing high school football i had to quit because i got too many concussions before they were in. oh you were an early you you quit before cte was even cool so yeah I, way to be ahead of the curve I would go partially blind. I was an outside linebacker. I'm 5'11". I think at that point I was like 2 and just like working out like crazy because you're 17 and you have like literally nothing else to do. Right. So I'd, I'd go do three hours of practice and then go lift. Um, and what's it called? I would, if I got my bell rung, I could, if you brought, if you broke your vision into four columns, like quadrants, I couldn't see like the third one. I could see all the way to my right, like peripheral. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see like, like center to right kind of thing. Um, uh, it would be like a, a light right turn uh, if you're thinking like if you're driving. And so if you're playing outside linebackers, there's three wide receivers on your side. They're going trips on you. You're supposed to shade over because you're going to go into coverage probably unless you're blitzing. I couldn't even see these guys. I could see the wide receiver all the way, you know, the, the furthest one, but I couldn't see the guys in the inside. And I was like, this is a problem. <laughs> um, and so, 
you know, my dad actually didn't want me to play football. My mom did. But my- did he not want you to play for health reasons or just because he knew you couldn't live up to his legacy? <laughs> well, I got I was like a good street player, you know, in, in, up until eighth grade. Uh, they didn't let me play uh, like real football until high school. And then that first day I ate McDonald's on the way to, to, like, to try try out practice. That's what you do, man. Well, I was like, yeah, this will be easy. This will be like playing pickup. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, and I was my height, you know, at eighth grade. Oh, wow. Okay. Big kid. Kind of, like pretty, yeah. We're, my dad's six four to 20. So like he, he played like Eddie George. Um, okay. Very fast. Not a lot of wiggle, just run you over here. Yeah, one cut, very, very fast. There's an old Gatorade commercial with him winning uh, the Orange Bowl in 1967. Spurrier won the Heisman that year. He was his quarterback. There's an old Gatorade commercial that shows him. Um, And so my thing was like, oh, I could walk into this. And I just got my shit rocked that first day and uh, (laughs) threw up all that McDonald's. And uh, and I, I think about it now it's been 20 years since I played over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't imagine that I was out. Like you're hot. You're in California. Your heat is like, you can get under the shade. It's not as bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Like ours is like, you feel the humidity from the grass up, you know, There's no escaping, but I had a good, I had a good coach who was like, you know, he coached Lou Pinella's son. I went to uh, Tampa Jesuit. And so uh, I guess Lou Pinella's son may have had some issues like he couldn't live up to his dad. And by the time I was talking to my coach about that, I was like, no, I mean, I I think I was pretty practical. Like I'm probably not going to go to the NFL. (laughs) I get huge. And like, if I get to my dad's size, maybe I'll go to play college. I probably could have walked on maybe D three, D two safety somewhere. But it was that thing of like, I, I was already pretty funny in class. And so that was kind of, I, I, when I went out for parties, you know, it was more about not as much about hooking up as much as like, did I get the funniest, like quip in? Did, I, did, I, did, did I, my like, zing win? Yeah. Right. And my friends are all not comics in real life. I'm still friends with all of them and they're funnier than most comics. I know, you know, like they'll, they'll kill me in a party. Uh, trying to be funnier than each other so well I want to talk about your your, your comedy career but before that like you're a dad as well and you and I grew up in a time when middle-class kids played tackle football Um, what do you think now like would you let your son play like Pop Um, Warner or high school I like Adam Carolla's theory on it Um, you know uh, you could not let him play and be safe but you know, being a pussy your whole life will, will it'll carry on. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I just, uh, I just made all your female listeners shut off. Um, <laughs> well, well, if you, if now, if they look, I, if they watch this with the sound off, they'll be very happy. Now I, I'm divorced. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm so AKA dad. available. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm solo dadding it half the time. You know, okay. I know their mom wants them to play basketball like all the non-contact stuff mm-hmm. i my thing is i don't want to force them to play anything i want to see what they kind of take to 
And if they like it, yeah, we'll go through with it. I mean, if you're really talking statistically, like football is fine, right? My dad is like, I just talked to him today for 30 minutes on the phone. He's 74. Play, he played all six years in the NFL. He's all banged up physically. He's got scars mm-hmm. everywhere. He's got no cartilage in his knees. <laughs> of course like, not. <laughs> you know, uh, and so it's that thing of like, but he still reads like a Gore Vidal book at night. You know, he's wow. like, yeah, he's like, uh, uh, he's a crazy modest dude, but like he, he crushes like history books. He's still in it in the conversations where I think some of his friends are starting to fade out. So you, and then you really break down statistics. I try not to buy into fear mm-hmm. uh, movements, you know? Um, uh, you're, you've had a miserable 20 years. <laughs> I, well, I look, I just stopped watching the news altogether. And good advice. I, good advice. My theory now is just like, if it's really important, it's going to make its way to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and I listen to, I, I kind of obsessively listen to podcasts while I work. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of marketing is boring when you're actually doing the work, but uh, yeah, real marketing is surprisingly analytical and like math driven. It's not just like pretty pictures. And well, yeah, it's cool slogans. We're, we're way far away from the Mad Men era of pitching like a whole campaign for a cigarette company or a, a, you know a Native American themed airline or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it's like creative is like one twelfth of marketing now to me, like people overvalue it in a lot of ways. There's a lot of other steps to there and they, yeah, it's, I'm a mathlete. I got Mm -hmm. all A's in math that carried me through high school. I got into entrepreneurship and family business management at Auburn and everything kind of clicked after that, like a C plus my whole life got into that major, which was like writing business plans for local businesses and stuff. So, so you had a major that could actually help you make money post-college? Not right away. <laughs> I mean, if, if I maybe, yeah, maybe. I, I, you know, I didn't know how much I had that entrepreneurial kind of uh, like mindset. But it's not like medieval folklore. I, I mean, like you can apply s- skills you learned at Auburn oh, yeah, to something yeah. that people will pay you to do. No, I thought it was the best. Like I loved it. Our our professor who like, I think in those junior, senior year classes, we probably had him like six to eight classes throughout those four semesters. So we got to know him really well, Dr. Kincaid uh, uh, over there. And he was a consultant uh, when he wasn't teaching. He just did the teaching for fun. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just signed up to be a mentor uh, and they're like, why do you want to do this? I was like, cause teaching makes me better at what I'm doing. It's going to, it's going to make me kind of formalize a lot of thoughts, you know, uh, it's going to make me better at. Yeah. It forces you to get organized too. If if you have to distill something down and easily digestible packets and share it with students. Well, the beauty of doing stand up though is you develop this muscle. I mean, you've been Mm -hmm. doing it probably as long as I have, right? Like I, Mm -hmm. I really started probably 06, 07. um, And then, you know, wasn't getting up at the clip. I would say, you know, most comics do that first, those first five years out in LA, for sure. I was getting right. 300 mics a, uh, a year kind of thing. Um, and then like, uh, I moved back here to Tampa, can't get up as much. Now this seems crazy, but 
um, you know, I had to make my own shows and I had to, I, I met my then girlfriend that was going to become my wife and she was a comic too. And so it was kind of like, I couldn't get up as much once you definitely, when you have kids. So it's like, I always say I'm like 15 years in, but it's still like a lot of those years were half years, you know, like, yeah, no, I, I I probably started about at least 20, 21 years ago, but there were chunks, especially when kids came in where they're very truncated. Well, and then yeah. for, for your listeners, why this matters is because we have guilt because like co- comedy is very <laughs> entrepreneurial. And now, now a lot of comics are stepping up to that. Like it used to be very gross to talk business in the comedy mm-hmm. world. And now it's like, no, everybody has to make their own path. Right. We've all kind of realized it. And so what you and I are like kind of, kind of dancing around is the guilt of not getting up and not hustling as much as we maybe should have there's always something more to do there's there's a booker to call there's a open mic to go to there's notebooks to scratch i mean there's always something more you can be doing yeah on the other side of that coin is you have to have a life worth talking about and so (laughs) like that's why all a lot of comics had airplane jokes right because that's all they were doing was traveling so you know you have to have an interesting life or be, you know, sometimes just be around things that, oh, something interesting might happen here. Yeah, this is a question I, I generally ask later in the interviews, but now's a good time. Like, what do you know now about stand-up law that you wish you knew when you started? Um, uh, kind Maybe more like habits of writing um our friend mark franco said something early in my career i think it was the first road gig i did i did it with him we flew from la to like saint augustine um yeah sweet um and he said you're law you're a great writer you're the laziest effing rewriter (laughs) and uh because he's like you would you'll get to a you'll get to a b minus of that joke and then you stop working on it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, and he got cut right to me and he was blasted drunk. And I was like, what does he know? <laughs> you know, but it, I, I write it, I rewrite it on my notebooks uh, to remind myself a lot, you know, that's a, that's a whole of my game and sitting down and having those habits. I'm, I'm still reworking them now, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I always feel like I should try to do creative in the morning, but I'm such I'm, I need like two hours before I talk to someone in the morning. So, you know, <laughs> I'm usually like podcast and maybe go work out or something. Um, right. Uh, get, get that, those yada yas out. I don't know. I, you know, I, I didn't come from a lot of trauma, so I don't have that, those kind of stories to rely on. They say, uh, yeah, I used to be angry. I didn't come from more family trauma. Like I couldn't ask for better parents and now I kind of use it as like an anti-comedy thing, like I had too much support or so, you know, like, but for probably 10 years, I just, I, I wanted to avoid all talk about my, my parents that they're still together and, and they love each other and they loved me. And like that, that was, uh, I was really embarrassed by that. <laughs> Mine are still together. I grew up in a great house. We have everything we needed, but rarely anything you just wanted, you know, that's like good. You had, yeah. You had to earn it, which I, I, I now look at as a parent, like that's the best way to raise a kid. Um, and like my parents are still together. I not like a family full of like arrests or 
drug addictions or <laughs> like anything. I'm the youngest. So maybe it was a kind of getting an attention thing, you know? Yeah. But they no. my whole family thought it was bizarre that I was doing it because I was so quiet around them. So they, they weren't like you didn't huddle around the TV to watch Carson or Evening at the Improv or, or what? What was your like? Who were your early? My, my mom got like, me into stand up. How so? She, her and I used to watch like stand up stuff uh on you know the family room tv uh -huh. uh, so like gallagher because he's from tampa and like, nice went to the high school like, that was one of the first shows i went to it was family friendly uh, by, the, by the way he gets he i mean he's cuckoo now but like not as bad as people remember like he's pretty good oh yeah it, very entertaining especially when you're eight years old or whatever like it's well and then fun. like our and then like our generation was Chappelle's show making fun of it mm -hmm. made him corny and it's like he was pretty good. I mean, he's a prop comic, but like he had a good act. Um, and, and, and he was before really anyone else. So things can become unoriginal once they're done a million times, but someone has to be the first to do it. Right. And now I, I think he's still feuding with Gallagher too, his little brother. Yeah. He sold his act to and then wanted it back. Um, I remember a lot of Tommy Davidson. I remember a lot of uh, Dana Carvey stand up. Oh, he, he, I mean, he was a perfect just like comedic performer he killed it on snl and then you could watch him do stand up and he was a great joke writer uh, just I, I i argue he's the best snl cast member ever you know it, but you know recency bias will change that yeah i mean i i might say phil hartman but i'm not going to be mad at you for saying dana carvey if we're talking about an all-around utility player oh, i'm going to get into mel kuyper <laughs> yeah <laughs> if we're talking about a five tool guy um <laughs> I mean, he could do everything and they put him in every sketch, you know, uh, at one point. Phil is one of the best, too. I get in arguments, Will Ferrell. I mm -hmm. I put Christian Wig in my top three, too. But I'm saying, like, uh, we would sit down and I didn't really understand a lot of it when you're really young, like stand up. But I was like, oh, this is kind of cool making people laugh. It, I, I, Whether I consciously got it that it feels good to make people laugh. Um now you now you get way too inception in your brain about the psychology of it like am i doing this just for me uh or am i genuinely doing it or both blah 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 you know all that stuff mm -hmm. you can run in circles that way but um yeah she still goes to stand-up shows she'll go to see ron white and she's like the mom that doesn't let you say fart in her house still right you know that's like, funny because my my mom is uh incredibly religious like she was and then i believe it like it, she she was like on her way to the convent when she was as a kid goes to mass every day and okay. i remember gosh probably 15 years ago maybe longer she couldn't wait till wanda sykes was at the improv because like she was this huge wanda sykes fan so i mean that that shows just a small example of what i love about stand-up i mean it can take people that you think all right they have nothing in common and it's not true. Like they, they Bring do them into and, your world, right? Yeah. You know, that's a lot of business too. It's like business is psychology. A lot of stand up is behavioral. Like I would say most comics understand, like observe behavior a lot. Uh, I'd say that's the majority of what people are talking about or their own story. And then the point of view of everybody else seeing that, you know, like just be, you don't need to have the same walk of life to really love the comedy. I, I, actually, if you really break down the basics of comedy, 
I took like second city writing classes in LA just mm-hmm. to get better at stand up. Really. I took groundlings classes. Best thing. If any younger person's listening, take improv classes. They're expensive, but they're worth it. I said, and they're fun. They're really but fun. It, it teaches you how to have fun in conversations that normally are very droll, you know, like, um, you know, you find you, you start building characters of people because people dress the way they do. They act the way they do for certain reasons. It's mimicking behavior, you know, like a lot of stuff, but you can yes and any conversation. It also mm-hmm. helps a lot in business, I think. It te- um, I mean, the number one skill in improv is listening. And that always helps. Act- well, now they really call it active listening. Active, you know? okay. Well, uh, I mean, I don't know what the difference is, really. I, I, I hear... Maybe one involves more nodding. I'm, I'm actively nodding. Well, people, you know, I've definitely been in fights with people, arguments with people like, I, I think you're hearing me, but you're not really listening to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it, it, you could probably repeat it back, but I don't think you're really understanding. Maybe that. active listening law means you don't have a cell phone in your hand while the other person is talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that's a thing where it's the best invention of our, our generation, the, that phone. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's a blessing and a curse. I, I feel like that pendulum is going to swing the other way. I think we haven't hit our addicted point with those yet. I've been trying to write a joke about They that. might go the way of, of cigarettes, you know, where it's like it's cool and then it's not cool. Well, I just hope like a younger generation's like, being on your phone for boomers or something like that, yeah. you know, like, like experiencing real life. So I'm hoping, I mean, I'm sure it's that way with like Twitter and Facebook. Like I hope it just kind of not, not that they don't exist, but they're just less and less part of people's lives. Well, the, the data privacy compliance kind of stuff that it's getting talked about a lot more. Thank God. I, I have a theory with data cause I'm all up in marketing data, doing programmatic advertising or um, you know, uh, I can buy email lists from my broker. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, these things where it's like, we have a lot of data. Thank God. Here's what I think. It, there's a lot of your data out there right now. Mm-hmm. But the good news is I think we're in an era where we don't really know how to use it uh, in the nefarious way. Like it's not always used correctly. It's a lot of data is getting housed but I don't think it's getting applied correctly a lot of the time, you know, right now. I think that'll change um, as things tighten up, but, you know, hopefully more people go the way of Apple when it comes to some of that. And and what do you mean by that? Go the way well, of Apple? Apple, uh, and this is, if anybody's in marketing and advertising uh, earlier this year, they tightened up uh, a lot of what you can target from you know, phones, basically, like it, it back in the day it used to be a free for all, right? You could really do some, some pretty gangster advertising, targeting interests by device, by, um, by device ID, if you had some engagement with the user, mm-hmm. but now it, they're, they're making that kind of shielded off a little bit. So like, you can't target really as well as you used to, but basically Marketing is going to be a lot harder. Unless it's TikTok and then everything's well, right. fair game. It's <laughs> spyware. Another really funny existential thing about this is like, you think you, hear, you read all these like sci-fi or 
see the movies about uh, all these aliens coming in and they know everything about us. But we're living in a weird era where we're giving it away voluntarily, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the privacy policy of uh, TikTok, I mean, you, you have to have a law degree to really understand it. Yeah. But there are things a lot of people can understand. That thing, it'll work in the background on your desktop from your phone. Um, and it can collect a lot of stuff. It's still a Chinese owned company, which is scary. Yeah, it's basically, an, for, for what I know, uh, a, a, an adjunct of the Chinese government. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to, I can get it. So I'm trying to post more content on my social. Um, if anybody wants to hit me up on LinkedIn or Instagram or any of that, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll engage with you. But it's one of those things where I'm trying to put more stand-up clips out there because I do a lot of crowd work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just thinking about it. I need to have a, like, the later app or Hootsuite or something like that. I need, because I just post the content and I get off of it. Mm-hmm. I, I've really reduced how much time I spend on it because it's, it's the, the end, interacting I, and the scrolling that are the huge time sucks. Right. And I'm not really happy. I'd rather, mm-hmm. like, I, I, you know, part of uh, coming up with jokes or anything creative is you need to make yourself bored. Have you been bored in the last? 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's busy. This is another thing that drives me nuts. People, uh, you know, when people say they're busy and you know, they're, you know, they're goddamn not busy. Yeah. They've been on Instagram for four and a half hours that day. <laughs> right. Right. And you want to call them out, but you don't have all the facts. So it's like, right. you're busy. No, I'm busy. You're not. So uh, I'm, I'm crazy about efficiency and stuff, but I was like, I need a third party app so I can push content out and then also not get tracked on my my stuff as well. And what is that third party app? I'm I'm trying out la- later is a social media manager app where you can okay. do real, you can do reels from there, you can do LinkedIn posts, you can do I'm trying it out. I'm I test out uh my tech stack as they as my nerds very call. silicon valley of you. I like that your tech stack is, is strong. So you started your own business which um is a is a rarity in standup. It's it's almost like you know having two loving parents. Uh, what motivated you to do that? I got into um, so moved back here in 2010 to Tampa. I was going on the road as a feature act, an opening act. Uh, so working a lot on the road. I was basically no one knew I moved home. People in mm-hmm. LA because I I worked for a air purifier company out of Pasadena. So I was coming back in town every six weeks. So like a lot of the comedy scene didn't know I moved. Um, That was like, I did this for two years and I was going to grad school online before it was cool. And uh, at Auburn's online business school or distance program, they called it. Um, And so I was doing all three of those things. uh, And then after that, I went to work for a buddy of mine that was making rapper money uh, doing affiliate marketing which is okay. affiliate is advertising. So you can go on these, these websites called ClickBank or uh, there's a bunch of them and you can go, I'll advertise that product. And for every conversion tracked, I get paid. Okay. So the, the game is, can I spend like $10 per, uh, per transaction, right? Uh, on advertising to get like 20 bucks per conversion. So these guys figured out how to do, 
they're kind of ha- former hackers kind of guys. They were, but they they weren't like they were just knock around dudes. They're not like they weren't like brilliant guys. They were just very good at like by exposing kind of weaknesses in a lot of these advertised platforms. This is 2010, totally mm-hmm. different landscape. And so I worked for these guys. It's not something I could put on my resume, but uh, we were selling green coffee bean extract. Dr. Oz took over Oprah's spot on TV, that four o'clock spot syndicated everywhere. He goes on TV. He says, there's a pill that you can take that'll make you lose weight. And, and he got reamed in Congress, but he didn't get any of that money. It was all guys like teams like ours mm-hmm. that were making buku dollars selling this garbage, like green coffee bean or Garcinia Cambogia. Um, and then uh, they start, these guys started making their own product. So we're selling like 3000 units a day. And then they go, Oh, well let's uh, let's make our own product. So they, they found someone to white label pro- the product for them to make like two bucks extra every purchase. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when the FDA came coming down for like twenty five million. I'm I'm talking. This is a boiler room operation. I I went to the office. I was like, I, I saw a mountain of credit cards. I saw their accountant storm out that they used to <laughs> fly in every week. And I was like, and they put me at a warehouse to do all this. Like I I had to hire Craigslist crackheads that would all tell each other that they're doing drugs in the bathroom. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to any of you guys. I'm going to yeah. stay in the office of the warehouse and I'm not going to have contact with you guys. You know, just package the stuff, put it on the truck. I'll take it to USPS. And so <laughs> I had to fit, but it was like, I had to figure out like, oh, I don't know anything about logistics, but it's like entrepreneurship, figure stuff out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also use your intuition. Like I could tell they're not going to let me be a partner in this team at that point and i was like i gotta go find something else so long story but uh i got into digital advertising and then i say like lebron when he came in the league right he would add a thing to his game every Mm -hmm. year so i would kind of do that i would try to like okay i need to be well versed in everything like um website development website design design theory um uh seo content all the, uh, all the things you need out of a full service agency. I, I wanted to know if I wasn't like, I'm not a graphic designer, but I can concept. Mm-hmm. So I need to know enough to be able to manage those. I, I know a little programming, but I wouldn't call myself a programmer. So mm-hmm. I need to know how to communicate with, with those specialists, right? So things like that, um, automation, API, stuff like that. Uh, so I tried to just add, every like every uh skill i could and if i was limited naturally you know i didn't press too hard to kind of go that way i just go all right i want to be able to manage an agency at some point and there's so many specialties now for mm-hmm. a full service agency that you really have to be a good project manager a good manager like intrapersonal manager and wrangle freelancers too because uh, my idea was like, I don't want to hire full time because that's how agencies implode. From they, spending you, too much time hiring? No, no, there's too many specialties. So you, oh, we, we call it the $35,000 unicorn on our show. 
<laughs> so you'll see a you'll see a job for a marketing coordinator or something like that, and it's literally like seventeen different things they need. They need an email marketer. They need uh, a relationship marketing strategist. They need a content creator. They need social media. Uh, they need paid media, which is like online mm -hmm. ads, social media ads, whatever. The, that the person doesn't exist at thirty-five grand. So it's like. <laughs> You know, add a zero after that and maybe you'll get yeah and so the the skill we really try to i really try to uh push i i try to i call it client conditioning i really try to tell them how to manage me right mm -hmm. you're managing me i'm managing the people i picked to work on your retainer or your project um but i want you because a lot of people think management is innate kind of like marketing or sense of humor, right? Like everybody thinks they know it and they have a good sense of humor, good taste of mm -hmm. music. But yeah, we're all above average drivers kind of thing. No, oh, that's the most insane. Um, and like, you know, managing people is, is a, it's a real skill. It, it's, I think it's overlooked. And I think a lot of people don't formally look for that education on how to get better. Mm -hmm. The other thing is anybody young listening to this, we say this on our show all the time. I've learned so much by just being patient and watching YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's <laughs> finding the right one. Yeah. It, it could be technical, like how to code something, or it can just be like, here's a good, here's a good podcast about management, you know, mm -hmm. or, or about servant leadership or something like that. Right. Uh, which I, I, I believe in. Um, well, you, you bring up a good point. I mean, for, for young people out there or just people who might want to alter their career path, uh, I mean, what skills do you think are the most valuable to those looking to get into digital marketing? I think a lot of people are poor at communicating. Um, now, we have more ways to do it than ever, but I think we're, getting, we're atrophying that way. Um, I think all clients care about is results a lot mm -hmm. of the time. It's your job to get in the minutia of that funnel of how, how you're getting those results. Right. Um, but it's like, they'll be like, I, I've seen emails sometimes that are just like so sloppy. They're typos. Uh, it's to an important person, you know, like um, I, I've really kind of gone to an asynchronistic uh, way to do, I do video. So if I do a proposal for a client now, I write it up. Uh, I kind of do a bespoke one. I put a project management chart of it. I put a funnel. Here's the tactics we're going to do. But then I'll record myself doing video notes as a supplement to it. It's optional if they want to look at it. Fine. Mm -hmm. I put the transcript in there if they want to read it. Um, but uh, I don't want to waste their time. So it's kind of like a mini podcast. They can listen to this wherever they are. And like, um, but I want to make sure I'm comprehensive, but I don't want to waste their time at the same mm -hmm. time. So it's like an efficient way to do it. I think that'll be, that'll be the next thing. I think like if, if you can send a video of like, if you're managing people and I just delegate out and I'm sending a one way video and they're at the end of the day, they're sending me what they did or, at the end of the week or something, 
or they're having trouble here. Here's a screenshot of where, where I'm having trouble. I think finding those ways to communicate and finding the empathy of who you're talking to, right? A programmer, uh, they speak very <laughs> zeros and ones mm -hmm. is the best way I can explain it. Very like, very cut and dry. They're going to get into very technical stuff a lot. That's superfluous. Um, your creative people you're going to talk to, they're not going to be so technical. You, on the whole, usually. Graphic designers are, are very flaky. So you mm -hmm. have to kind of t stay on top of them. You know, business is psychology. If you really break down any business, it break, no matter how big, it's going to break down to psychology and behavior. And the better you kind of understand and observe that, I think it, entrepreneurship is like golf. The game's between your ears. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, and that's, you know, that's where I failed. I had a marriage I thought I was messing up and I, my agency dwindled because I couldn't keep my, my brain uh, straight. Cause I thought I was, I thought I was messing up our, our team, you know, yeah. uh, now I'm reviving everything because I'm out of that, that muck. Nice. So I, uh, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, well, that, that's a you good. You can't take me any lower into any mental uh, prison. I was depressed. I, I was like, oh, this is what the comics talk about. Like not being <laughs> able to physically get up. You know, I, I, I was, I felt so guilty that I was messing up my family that we just started. But really, I, I was burned out. I wasn't sleeping because we had two babies 13 mm -hmm. months apart. And one of them, the older one, we thought was having night terrors. Turns out his tonsils were inflamed. So he'd, oh. skip, he'd skip a breath. So I'm getting like, I'm averaging three hours of sleep a lot. Okay. Yeah, that'll lot, do it. A lot of weeks. And I'm trying to run a business. We never took a loan, outside money, outside capital. So I did it all on hustle um, because I, I, I pride myself on being able to out hustle people. Mm -hmm. C plus student but I can work hard. A plus hustle. You know. Well, that's, we're concluding, but I think hustle is such an underrated attribute. What? Well, don't buy into the hustle culture. That stuff's. Okay. Well, like the Gary V, like, you just yeah. get out there and do it. Like, it doesn't well, What's the appropriate amount of, like, what, what would well, you want people to learn? It doesn't have to be manic. It doesn't have to be like <laughs> Red Bulls in like cocaine energy. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, the most successful people I look up to are very calm. They, they take their time. It's really about like, all right, with stand-up. I was just talking to my dad about this. I have to go to a funeral. We're all going to it. I go, I'm going to get there probably like 30 minutes early. And he's like, well, that's really early. I was like, I don't want to mess with like worrying about parking. Mm -hmm. I'm in a black suit. It's hot. You know, it's so hot outside that I'll look, I'll look like I'm lying because I'll be just sweating everywhere. Uh, and so I was like, I'll get there early. I was like, any 20 minute pocket of time, I could, I always have something to fill it up with, right? So if I'm waiting in the church or in the synagogue, I should say for this example, and I'm, I'm aggressively early, like a dad does mm -hmm. sometimes, but you don't want to be late to that. Uh, right, right. Weddings and funerals, those you are- time. Yeah. yeah. You, you can be aggressively early barbecue. Not so much. Um, uh, my thing was like, I can write jokes for 20 minutes uh, on a pen and a pad. I, ca I carry around or 
I can think of what can I, I'll think of like, what can I do in this pocket of time that might be productive? You know, mm-hmm. I got to come up with a brand name for this, or I'm wearing a tank top. Uh, if anybody sees it's the Bucks, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers logo mashed uh, into one. We're putting, we're putting tank tops on our sweat equity pod.com store. Um, so that's a fun exercise in creativity, like making the mayor Rob Ford drink. Like mm-hmm. sometimes they have a, a, a purpose for you to make money. Sometimes it's just a good wordle brain exercise. Um, but like, I would say, you know, the best thing you can really do and people don't do it. And it took me a while to do it. I, um, is you write out a goals list. What do you want to do the rest of this year? Right. Right now, if anybody's listening, you got, you know, four months left. What do you want to get done in these four months? What, what do you want to do long-term? You really need to sit down and make smart goals. It's like, um, God, I forget the acronym. Uh, uh, it'll come to me. The M's measurable, attainable, uh, like relevant, timely, and the S is for smart. No, um, you can't have a, a smart in a smart uh, <laughs> acronym. But well, if you hit those first few, I think you can just avoid the S entirely. Well, like, you, like a goal isn't like I want to go to church more. That's not a goal. Like you got to go, I'm going to go three out of the four Sundays a month. Be specific has, about it. Yeah. Right. It has a measurable goal, right? That's where people really mess up. I'm if you can't weight. measure it, you can't management philosophy. Uh, I, look, I'm dad fat right now. Cause I won't throw away kid food. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm too cheap, but I got to, I got to start doing that because I I've gotten, I ballooned out not realizing it. So I got the, my fitness pal app and I feel stupid for having it because i've never needed anything like that but i'm plugging in everything i'm eating and i'm like oh this was bad this was bad yeah i hate that app for that reason (laughs) yeah but but it's measurable and it keeps Mm -hmm. and what happens is when you write these goals out you reverse engineer how to get there and you go and then it kind of crystallizes it for you right it go you your brain goes oh yeah i still need i want i'm trying to write a book this year I'm still like, uh, it, I when I have those free thought times, I'm like, all right, I should find a pocket of time today to write. You know, I should find, like, uh, I got to chip away at these things. Mm-hmm. So chip away at your goals. It's really the long game, you know. Yeah, incremental improvements. I think, I'm not the first to say that, but it, like, it'll go long. Go yeah, long marginal way. gains. I, I just say marginal gains every day. Marginal, marginal gains. Gain. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we could talk for, we'll have to have you back. Um, but Wait, you, one, you're... one last thing, this is, and we work in minutes as comments. Yes. This is real quick. Here's a real piece of pragmatic advice. I did it. My mentor tried to tell me to do it. And I was like, I've already done this for 10 years. On a piece of notebook paper in the morning, your to-do list, write every, right on the left-hand side, write every 15 minutes of the day, write out your 15 minutes, right? So every line's 15 minutes. Then write what you're going to do for the day, right? Pretty simple. This takes five minutes, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I got to do this hour meeting. That takes those four lines, you know, chunk it out like that. And then at the end of the day, what'd you get done? And like, I, I time track everything in my life. 
I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with this now, but uh, I do it with an AI app that works in the background. But it's one of those things that everybody has the same amount of time, right? Uh -huh. Successful people figure out how to be really efficient. So when we were doing gigs, driving to Tustin to do mm -hmm. an open mic on a Tuesday night, I'd be rolling calls to friends because I'm that guy. I want to, I'll randomly call a lot of friends mm -hmm. on the phone. This is a good time to talk to friends on the phone. Sure. And not, and not just be mad. I'm driving traffic. Right. Or, you know, or work on jokes or something mm -hmm. like you can kind of multitask or spin plates as I like to think about it. I like that. So you're, you're a wealth of knowledge, Law Smith. Where can people learn more about you? lawsmithworks.com is my site. Uh, if anybody needs uh, kind of strategy advising or, um, you know, marketing uh, strategy, architecture, modeling, uh, my, my agency site is tokabaga, T-O-C-O-B-A dot G-A. Um, and then our podcast, sweatequitypod.com. Check it all out. Law Smith, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for letting me look cool with my sunglasses on the whole time. I look like Sam Rosti in a casino. Only pick the winners. <laughs>